education service, and we do this about three times a year now. And uh, we want to clarify the fact this is not a baptism, this is not a christening service, this is a dedication service of these parents and their church family to come together and raise these precious gifts which God has entrusted to them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We do so because Jesus was taken to the temple and dedicated as a child in Luke 2. We want to thank God for the creation and birth of these precious gifts. And we want to promise as parents and as a church that we will work together to provide guidance to these children and discipline toward salvation and growth in their knowledge of the Lord. And finally, it just gives us an opportunity in a formal way to introduce these children to you and you to these children and pray God's blessings upon them remembering how Jesus took a child on his knee and blessed them. Deuteronomy 6 is one of the pinnacles of the Old Testament. Moses writes, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And from the New Testament, Jesus took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not only me, but him who sent me. It's a privilege now to introduce these children to the church. Paul and Gina Nelson have twin girls. One is Margaret, Margaret Jane, and the other one is Margaret, I mean Martha Jane, and one is Margaret Cook. Which is which? This is Martha Jane. <laughs> this is Martha Jane. Come here, Martha. Oops, she's hooked to me. Martha Jane Nelson, and this is Margaret Cook Nelson. Martha and Margaret. I'm not holding both. Precious girls. How has it been at your house? Busy. Busy. You call them Martha and Margaret? Martha Jane and Maggie. Martha Jane and Maggie. Let me hold Margaret for a second. Aren't they precious? How old are they? They'll be six months on Thursday. Six months Thursday. Do you remember when you were so young you counted your age by months? <laughs> and this is Maggie. Maggie. And the lights are so bright. And we will help you love your children and teach them the good news of Jesus Christ. And see so you raise them in the nurture of the Lord. This is Jason and Cynthia Hendricks, and this is Elizabeth Ruth Hendricks, and you will call her Lizzie. Is she asleep? She is. It's all right, Lizzie. You won't be the first one to fall asleep in this place. (laughs) Who said amen in the choir? (laughs) This is Lizzie Hendricks, Elizabeth Ruth.
Is she nodding off? We want to introduce you to all these good people, Lizzie, who will love you and tell you the good news of Jesus. Beautiful daughter, congratulations. Luke and Lisa Wuthrich, and this is Silas. This is the only boy, Silas James Wuthrich. Y'all call him Silas, don't you? Yep. And he's asleep. You know, there's a hymn that's safe in the arms of Jesus. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could trust Jesus enough to rest in his arms? Just like this. Silas Wuthrich. What a handsome boy. Congratulations. Cliff and Carmen Henderson, and this is Claire Stewart Henderson. Y'all call her Claire? And she's asleep. His lights are bright. Cliff and Carmen and Claire. She's precious. Congratulations. Thank you. Nathan and Amanda Gable, and this is Henley Malia. You call her Henley? Mm-hmm. Henley. Come here, Henley. I don't have any pearls to, <laughs> to play with. Henley Malia Gable. And we wanted to meet you today, Henley, because we love you already. And Jesus loves you. And we want to tell you all about him. waking up. (laughs) Shannon and Anne-Marie Atkinson, and this is Madeline Ruth, and y'all call her Madeline. Madeline. I'll turn her around to you and let you see her. And we will be Madeline's church family. And we look forward to loving her and getting to know her. Congratulations. There we go. Nathan and Alice Johnson, and this is Margaret Grace Johnson. I'm going to call her Maggie. Maggie. And I think Maggie's wearing her great grandmother's. Christening gown? Yeah. <laughs> and I think Margaret's in everyone's names all the way back. Maggie Johnson. Aren't the children calm this morning? Congratulations. 
There we go. I'm going to grab a bulletin and we're going to read the responsive reading. As a covenant church to these parents, because they can't do this alone. It's too important. Do you parents acknowledge that the gift of life is something only God can give and that is truly one of the greatest gifts of all? Do you recognize the awesome responsibility that comes with that gift, the responsibility of raising your child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Do you hereby commit yourselves to being the kind of parents that God intends and that your children will require so that they will grow to know Jesus as their friend and will learn of his love for them and one day might profess their own faith in him and follow him as Lord and Savior. If you, church family, realize and accept your responsibility in helping to raise these children and providing the kind of environment that will point them to Christ and show them his love, will you please join me in standing? Do you likewise commit yourselves to seek to fulfill this awesome and wonderful responsibility? We do. Shall we pray? Father, we just pause to thank you for these these beautiful gifts of yours. Eight children standing before us, their parents, their homes, their families gathered with them, our church family, standing alongside them, symbolizing our pledge and our covenant with them to partner with them in this awesome responsibility of raising these precious children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We are only stewards of these great gifts, O God. And help us be wise and faithful in those stewardship responsibilities. Watch over these children, bless and protect them. Father, we pray, even as they begin this life, that it will be a long and happy one, that they will come to know and love and serve you. And they will be in families one day themselves that will be in the house of the Lord worshiping you and praising your name from generation to generation. We pray for their parents that you will bless their home and keep it sacred. Keep them faithful to one another and to you. Let their love continue to grow and blossom even as as these children grow and dedicate all that they are and have to you. We pray that you will Watch over us as a church and help us live up to our pledge here this day to watch over these eight children and bless them and tell them about Jesus and pray for them and nurture them so that one day they might come to know you as Lord and Savior too. We pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Be seated.
Shall we pray? Father, what a joy it is to know that you are in the life-giving business and to see these precious children and their families stand before us, testifying to their love for you and their desire to raise these gifts as you would have them. Father, help us in worship to lead the kind of lives these children and these parents will need. They will have someone to look up to and find mentors of Christian faithfulness and dedication and have goals set toward which they can aspire and one day look back on lives lived in dedication and service to you and your kingdom and children and grandchildren who know and love and serve you too. Guide us in what we say and do today, and let it be genuine and sincere, and let it honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. We want to welcome you to First Baptist, and what a precious service. Uh, This is just an exciting day as we dedicate those precious babies and come alongside them. And we know we have some family here for parent-child dedication. We just want to extend a special welcome to you. And then also, if you're uh, visiting with us uh, today for the first time, we just want to uh, just welcome you and ask that you also remain seated for just a moment so we can give you a welcome packet. Um, and in there is a, a form we'd like for you to fill out and then place in the offering plate for us in just a few moments so we'll have a record of your visit and can get some more information to you. So First Baptist, if you'd stand and just greet one another and look for those visitors around you. Disciple of Jesus Christ, member of First Baptist Church here in Tifton, Georgia. And we'd love to have you come join us this morning. I invite you, no, I encourage you to come be with us on Sunday morning. But I'd submit to you that there are three components to our relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, His Son. The first is worship. It says in the Bible that Jesus was a church gourd. you know that? In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, He says... 
he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom if Jesus saw it fit to come to church maybe we should too make it a matter of importance the second component is discipleship after all it wasn't Jesus and the twelve dudes it was Jesus and the twelve disciples remember the familiar verse Matthew 28 19 he said therefore go and make disciples there's nothing like being in a small group discussion like Sunday school class where you're sharing with one another, praying for one another. There's one thing we all have in common, and that's challenges or problems. The third component is service. You know, the moment that you get saved, God equips you as a believer with spiritual gifts, all to provide ministry, to edify Him. So if you're missing either one of those, worship, discipleship, or service, I'd submit to you that you're not living up to that abundant life that Jesus promises. We'd love to have you come join us. Visit our website at fbctipton.org or give us a call. We've got someone standing by. If you need prayer or if you'd like more information, it's 382-6063. We hope to see you Sunday. We've got a chair waiting on you. Yeah, I remember when a lot of y'all were dedicated here this morning, and, and you've grown up, and now these children are coming along behind you, and, and they're going to look up to you one day, boys and girls, and, and want you to, to help them come to church and learn about Jesus. Rebecca Carpenter is, has the Happy Club bag, and she brought something. Are there two things? No, is that one? Is, oh, that fell out? That it fell out? fell out. Okay. It didn't break. Good thing it didn't break. It fell out. All right. What is it? It's a stamp that says my name in Chinese. Oh, it's, it, what kind of stone is that? It's a, this is a, a, a ram. That's an Abraham? No, ram. A ram. Oh, okay. There's a ram on top. And it, on the bottom, it's like a stamp. It has your name in Chinese. Oh, I see. And you take ink. And you like put it on ink and then you put it on a piece of paper. And I have a little paper. She has a little paper for, for all to see. Not that. Oh. And there. and there it is stamped. Thank you for sharing that. Now, where did this come from? China. China. And did uh, your granddaddy? My papa, yeah. Papa, Jim Carpenter, bring that from China for you. Mm-hmm. You know what? Um, I, I guess this reminds me, Rebecca. That, that in China, you know, your name is in Chinese, and in India, in Pakistan, in Japan, all those lands over there. Who's the God of those lands? God, God. Our God. Our God in Jesus, His Son. That's right. Yeah, but there might be other people that think they're God. There are other people that think their God is God, but, but our God we know is really <laughs> the one true God. And so it's our job. Here's, here's Rebecca's name in Chinese, and it's a stamp. And it just reminds us that all over the world that there's one true God whom we love and serve, and we have the opportunity to know him here in America, and we have the responsibility to tell other lands about him. I know your, your Papa Jim is a wonderful Christian man, and when he goes to, he is, and when he goes to China, he probably has the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. And that just reminds us wherever we go and whatever we do, we can tell people about Jesus. So let's pray right now and ask God to help us do that. Dear God, God. 
wherever we are, in America, in China, or everywhere in between, help us tell others about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's really cool, Rebecca. Thank you for sharing that with us today. Miss Sabine, it's a boy's turn, isn't it? Where's Fu? Fu, will you take the bag home and bring back something special next week? All right, boys and girls, you can go with Miss Sabina to children's worship if you'd like to. So we've seen these little children being dedicated today and we're reminded by these children that Jesus knows us very personally. John 10.3 says he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. We're going to sing Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us, hymn number 61. Will you please stand as we sing.
please bow with me. Dear Lord, we just come before you this morning. We just thank you so much for this church and what it means to us. We acknowledge your presence this morning, dear Lord. We just feel the, feel your Holy Spirit in this room. Dear Lord, I just thank you for uh, this wonderful church family that's uh, helped me grow in my life. And uh, I thank you for the Sunday school teachers that have taught my children the stories of the Bible. And I just ask that we all do the do the same to to spread your word and just uh, as new people come to this church that we uh, give what we have been received. Uh, dear Lord, just uh, ask now as you uh, as we bring these uh, gifts that uh, you bless them and multiply them and just uh, use it where you see fit. We ask it in Jesus' name. I pray. Amen.
Thank you, choir. Thank you, Beth. I love that song, The Prayer. If I'd known the Italian, I was going to pretend I was Josh Groban and join her in a duet. Thank goodness I don't know Italian. (laughs) Or Andre Bocelli or whoever. We are uh, looking through the Bible, and a sermon from each book of the Bible is a challenge. Not that there aren't passages, but, uh, you know, just to be honest, I'm much more familiar with the New Testament than I am the Old Testament, which is why this is such a good exercise for me to, to become familiar once again with, with all of God's Word. Believe it or not, we're in the book of Ezra this morning. And um, who is Ezra? What did he do? Well, he was, he was one of the ones who brought back the children of Israel from, from captivity in Babylon. We'll get to that in a minute. But when God's hand was upon Ezra, he did some things that I want to model for us here this morning. Ezra 7, verses 7 through 10, say this. There went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers, and the temple servants. And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem for, a good, for the good hand of his God was upon him. This is Ezra. The good hand of his God was upon him. You know, just reading all those dates, the first year, the fifth month, it just helps ring true the history of what was happening because it sets it firmly in a date and time. Verse 10, for Ezra had set his heart, listen to this, to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Because God, the hand of God was upon him, Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Shall we pray? Father, place your hand upon us in such a way that we will desire to study your law, to learn it through and through, and to do it, to live it out daily, and then to teach it by sharing with those around us. Father, help us be like Ezra, who loved you so much that he was willing to do whatever it took to be obedient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Salvation is not just a once in a lifetime experience. As a matter of fact, I preached a sermon before where I talked about salvation in three tenses. There's salvation in the past where you were saved. And yes, if you're a Christian, there was a time and date you should be able to know that you were saved. But then there's also a sense in which present tense, you are being saved. As Paul writes in Philippians 2, 2, he says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So there's a sense in which you work out that salvation. And then there is a future tense of salvation. When Jesus is coming again, he will save us and he will take us home to be with him. This morning, I want to talk about that present tense, working out your salvation when 
when we are saved, we aren't supposed to just enjoy it. We are supposed to work it out. Being saved is not time to settle back in a recliner and prop your feet up. It's time to work out your salvation, discover what all it can mean in your life. When God's hand is upon you, work it out. And there are models in the scripture to follow, and Ezra provides us one such model. Ezra, who was he? Well, he he emerged as an important religious leader in Israel following the Babylonian captivity. What happened? Israel became faithless to God, basically. God said, as long as you are in covenant with me, I will watch after you and protect you and keep you from all harm. But Israel kept following after other gods. Israel would follow false gods, and eventually God threw up his hands and said, so be it, you have broken covenant. And God allowed the, the, the Babylon folks from Babylon to come in and defeat Israel. And they didn't take everybody off into captivity. They just hauled off all the leaders. So all the leaders from, from Judah were carried off into Babylon in 586 B.C. Well, a new world power emerged. Persia defeated Babylon, and the king of Persia, Cyrus, reversed the practice of the Babylonians, and he started allowing the captives, the Jewish captives, in exile in Babylon to start returning home. And much of the Old Testament talks about this captivity in Babylon and the return home. And as you can imagine, when they returned home, everything was in disarray. They had to reestablish the worship at the temple in Jerusalem. They had to rediscover the scrolls. They had to set up again all the sacrificial system. So they began to come back home, and the first decree is in Ezra 1. The first group returned in 536 B.C., about 50 years after being in exile, under the leadership of Zerubbabel, and then 80 years later under Ezra, which we can date from all these references in verses 7, 8, and 9, a second group returned from Babylon to Judah. Ezra was a descendant of Aaron. He was of the priestly line. He was an instructor in scriptures. He was a godly man with strong convictions. And this verse in Ezra 7 tells us three things that Ezra did when God's hand was upon him and that I think we need to do with ours. So often we focus so much on getting saved and we talk so little about what happens after that salvation. Here are some guidelines to follow. What should we be doing when God's hand is upon us and we're ready to get serious and start growing in our relationship and in our faith with him? The first thing, Ezra had set his heart, verse 10, to study the law of the Lord. He began to learn it. He was so hungry for God that he opened up the scriptures, which was the, the Pentateuch to him, the first five books of the Old Testament, and he learned it. He applied it. He studied it. A doctor told me recently that a properly balanced diet is a crucial factor in good physical health. More important than your environment, than heredity, than hygiene, or even exercise. I was so glad to hear that part about exercise. The diet is key to good physical health. And I believe that's also true spiritually. We have to have a properly balanced spiritual diet. 
the most important ingredient is a, is a disciplined plan of Christian growth because it does not just happen. A lady uh, decided she wanted to learn how to play golf and after one lesson she told her husband she wasn't going to take any more lessons. And her husband said, why not? And she said, why should I? I learned how to play yesterday. Now obviously you don't learn how to play golf in one day. Nor do you learn about God and his will for your life in one day or even one year or even a dozen years. It takes a lifetime. Elton Trueblood, one of the great teachers of the faith, said, I plan to remain a student of the Bible as long as I live. Friends, there is something in here that you can learn every day for the rest of your life. You can do it. So pick out some section of the Bible, preferably the New Testament. And maybe you want to read a chapter a day. Maybe you want to read a paragraph a day. Maybe you want to read a small passage and keep a journal and write down what it says and and what you think it's saying to you and, and what you need to change in your life to bring it into conformity with what the Bible is teaching. Try different plans until you find one that works for you. But the key is to spend time in God's Word every day, not just on Sunday. Please, not just on Sunday. Don't just pick your Bible up on Sunday for church and Sunday school and then set it aside somewhere until the following Sunday. It's a requirement for Christians to grow. There are no substitutes. There are no shortcuts. It's important to be in God's Word every day. Somebody said we have too many hypodermic saints who live to get high on a periodic injection of religious excitement. And isn't that the way it is? Instead, we need to have Christians who are growing and mature, nourished by a regular, healthy, steady, balanced diet of of spiritual food. And it can happen. The first thing Ezra did when God's hand was upon him was that he set his mind to study it and to learn it. The second thing that's equally important, because knowledge is never an end in itself, Ezra, it says, he did it. He lived it out. It had, his spiritual knowledge had practical expression in his life. Other words, you are just trapped in an ivory tower of learning and are of no earthly good. You know, you can be a smart Christian without being a good Christian. And you see this transition from theory to practice in Ezra's life. He set his heart not only to study the law of the Lord, but to do it, to live it out. Albert Schweitzer, great, brilliant Um, theologian explained why he chose to go to Africa and bury his life there in the outback in the wilds of Africa in service to Christ. And Albert Schweitzer said, I came to Africa because I wanted my life to be my argument. I did not want my ideas to become an end in themselves. He said, I wanted my life to be my argument. You know, there, there was a question that was going around years ago. If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? 
Or if you were hauled into court for being a Christian, would they have to dismiss the case for lack of evidence? What a sad state that would be. Is your life an argument for Jesus Christ? Do others know by watching you that there's something different about you, that you are the salt and light in your environment, and and that you distinguish yourself as such because you are a Christian? And, And they know from you what it means to be a Christian. Let me take a moment here, just a personal aside, something that I wasn't planning to say, but <clears throat> I had a funeral yesterday for a fellow minister in the gospel, Reverend Richard Goff. You remember Richard Goff? He served this county and several surrounding counties, small churches, over 40 years. He preached thousands of sermons, and he was a good, good man. But I tell you what really impacted me when I visited Edwina, his wife, in the hospital in Macon, and Richard was there. I went to pray for them and to encourage them and ended up having Richard pray for me and encourage me. And he did that for everybody who came to visit. And the doctors and nurses were were astounded. And they said, we've never seen anything like it. And these past few days when Richard began to decline... The faith that he preached for 40 years came out in his life. So much so that that you knew that he wasn't just preaching it, but he was really living it. And everything he did authenticated everything he ever said in a pulpit. That's the kind of the living the Christian life I'm talking about. When times are difficult and people are are watching you and you're being scrutinized to see if being a Christian makes any difference in how you live and how you die. Is there enough evidence there to convince people that you're a Christian? If you show your religion, that doesn't mean to perform it or show it off. It just means to live it. Not to hide it, not to put it under a bushel, but on a lampstand. Put that light out there for all the world to see. That's the second thing Ezra did. He studied it, he learned it, he lived it. And the third thing he did was he loved it. And he loved it so much that it bubbled up out of his heart and out of his mouth. And he taught, he shared, he encouraged, he instructed others in the law of the Lord to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel, it says at the end of verse 10. He not only learned it, he not only lived it, but he set his heart on teaching it to others. He had such a passion about it and such a love for it that it came out and found expression in what he said and did. A few weeks ago on a men's retreat, Chris Brooks mentioned a YouTube video that was worth watching. It's called Pen Gillette Gets a Bible. And what's so ironic about this video, if you know anything about Pen Gillette, he is one of the most outspoken atheists in America today. He and another guy named Teller have a show they call a psychotic magical show. And Penn Gillette has just written a book. I saw it in Books a Million a couple nights ago entitled God No. 
He is, he is one of the most obnoxious atheists you would ever hope to run across. But, but Pendulette tells a story that happened after one of his shows one night. He says he closes up a show, and I watched this video on YouTube several times, and there's a man waiting in the wings to speak to him, and, and he's accustomed to that. And so he goes over, and the man compliments him on his show, and, and you know, and, and Gillette can tell, can tell that he is sincere and he is genuine. And then the man looks Gillette in the eye and says, Here, I want to give you this. And he pulls out a Gideon New Testament, and he gives it to Gillette. And he says, I've written some things in the front. And he wrote his name, and he wrote his telephone number, and an email address, and some some scripture references for Gillette to look up. And you can tell that it had an impact on Gillette because he was shaken telling the story. It made an impression on him. And, and even though I don't think he's a Christian yet, I think God is working on him because of that faithful Gideon who came up and in kindness and genuineness gave Gillette a New Testament. Because Gillette starts asking these questions. He respects this man very much. And he says, how much do you have to hate someone if you truly believe there's a heaven and a hell and not tell them? Did you hear that? That's a question that an atheist asked. How much do you have to hate someone if you truly believe there's a heaven and a hell and you don't tell them? And then he draws an analogy. He says, it's like there's a truck heading down the road and someone is standing in its path and they are unaware of its, of its approaching. What would you do? Of course, you would run out and push that person out of the path of that truck if, and, and try to save their life if you possibly could. You would do anything you could to rescue them. And then Gillette draws the analogy. He says, isn't that the same thing if you really believe someone's going to hell? Only it's much worse than getting hit by a truck because hell lasts for eternity. Wouldn't you do everything in your power to rescue them? And so you can tell that an atheist asking these kinds of questions, so obviously this encounter with a Christian made such an impression on Gillette. And the way this man did it with kindness and respect and looking Gillette in the eye, he's still an atheist, but he was confronted by a Christian who gave him a Bible because he cared. And Gillette was moved by that. And he's thinking. You know, we have a directive from the Great Commission to share all that we know to all that we come in contact with every chance we get. We do a thing in faith called the alls of the Great Commission. Listen to how many alls, how inclusive the Great Commission is. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Jesus says he has all authority. So he commands us to go to all nations to teach them all things. And he reminds us he's going to be with us 
always. We don't have an option. There are trucks heading toward people we care about, and it's called death. And if we don't do something to push those folks out of the way by telling them the good news of Jesus Christ, then we aren't being obedient to the Great Commission. Ezra took the law of the Lord and he learned it, he lived it, and he loved it so much he shared it. He appeared at a time in Israel, much like our nation today. You know, our nation is lost. It seems like we've lost our moorings and we aren't quite sure what to do. And it was the same way with Ezra. They were reestablishing the law of God and his worship at the temple. But he knew the way to do it. He knew he had to study it. And then he had to live it out daily. And then he had to tell others about it. So what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to learn it. There is a a plaque at seminary. It's on a pedestal right out in front of the administration building. And on that plaque is the inscription of 2 Timothy 2.15. And it says on that, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's not directed just to ministers. It's directed to every one of us. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Learn it, live it every day, and love it so much that you tell others about it. Because there is a truck bearing down, and what you do between now and then may determine where some people spend eternity. Shall we bow? God, there's so many faithful people like Ezra in the Bible who brought folks home from a faraway land and helped them get reestablished in the worship of the one true God upon their return home. And Father, our nation is wondering right now, wondering in faraway lands and not really figuring out where we're from or what we're supposed to be doing. So help us as followers of yours to study your word, to learn it, and then to apply it by living it out daily so that people will see a difference in us and have such a hunger and thirst for it, loving it so much that we'll want to share it because they're people we love and we really believe there's a heaven and hell and we need to tell them. Give us the boldness to do that. Give us the words to say. Give us your spirit of understanding. For we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our invitational hymn this morning is number 52. He leadeth me, O blessed thought. I hope you have a decision to make public today. You have talked to God in recent days and felt his leadership. And you need to make that decision public. It's not something you need to keep secret. It's it's something that you have an opportunity to share publicly. 
because God doesn't want us to be ashamed of him. He wants us to be willing to take a stand. Professing your faith, rededicating your life, joining this church if you need to come forward and pray. Whatever your decision, I'll be here at the front to receive you. Let's stand together while you come. We'll sing.